and welcome back to Ghoul's Night in the Spooky Chat Show with your best ghoul friends. I'm Penny Snark. And I'm Mitch Munster. Penny, happy Women's History Month. (gasps) Yay, happy Women's History Month. Woo, you're a woman, I'm a woman. Hell yeah. (laughs) It's time to learn about our history. Uh, I saw the other day, so a friend of the show, Amanda Woomer, who is also known as Spook Eats on Instagram, Mm -hmm. um, shared a post on International Women's Day that said um, something to the effect of like, this is your reminder that the first ghost hunter was not a 20th century man, but was actually Catherine Crow in 1854. And I was immediately very intrigued and wanted to know more about her. Um, I have never, I had never even heard the name Catherine Crow prior to this. And uh, sadly, that doesn't surprise me too, too much. Right. <laughs> um, paranormal research, much like uh, most fields, is predominantly male-driven. And um, women, of course, though, actually have a, a really rich history in this area. And uh, in fact, before we move on to the history segment, I do want to mention that uh, Amanda that posted this post actually puts together a really incredible anthology of books called The Feminine Macabre. And I believe she has, I think there's four published volumes and she's working on volume five currently. Um, but there are journals where she's compiled the writings of all these different female, both cis and trans women and non-binary people, um, paranormal researchers, historians, investigators from like all over the world. And it's really very, very cool. You can get them on Amazon for like less than 20 bucks a pop. And if you're interested in like her story and ghost shit, definitely check those out. (laughs) Yeah, check them out. Very, very cool. And beautiful cover art also. They are very beautiful. So pretty. I uh, I actually just bought my set not too long ago and uh, our friend Miranda had the whole set on like the nightstand in her guest space when I stayed in Houston in November and I was like, oh, I I need these. These are gorgeous. But let's get on to Catherine Crow here. So uh she was already a badass woman before she even got into the paranormal space so she was born in kent in 1790 and then not a lot's known about her early life but in 1822 she marries major john crow and this ends up being a really unhappy marriage for her Mm. and they had one son together but she ends up like rallying all of her friends together to help her escape this marriage. Hell yeah. <laughs> and they like disappear her to Scotland and she settles in Edinburgh and starts her life over as a single woman and as That's a writer. Awesome. <laughs> Isn't that Good awesome? Good for her. Good for her. <laughs> Which like this is like 1823. Like that's unheard of. Um so yeah, she escapes goes to edinburgh starts a new life as a writer we love to see it she starts out kind of writing some fiction she writes a few plays she even wrote a book with a female detective protagonist which again at the time not really a thing we don't really see much of that until nancy drew comes around in the 1930s so she's very ahead of her time just as a, a human but what really made her popular was her nonfiction work So she wrote a book called The Night Side of Nature, or Ghosts and the Ghost Seers, in 1848. 
And this is a really popular and important paranormal text um, still. (laughs) It's 400 pages and it includes all kinds of unexplained phenomena. So it's not just, a lot of it is collections of ghost stories, um, but it also includes stuff that really hadn't been written much on at the time, which would be like um, out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, time slips, ESP. Uh, It was a lot of research and information that just hadn't been really broken through at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was really actually (laughs) well-received, which is kind of surprising. And she published it as herself, as a woman. Um, And it ended up selling 65,000 copies. And Charles Dickens even reviewed it and called it one of the most extraordinary collections of ghost stories ever published. And this is this is very important. He also wrote that Crow can never be read without pleasure and profit and can never write otherwise than sensibly and well. Hold, hold on to that information. <laughs> All right. Uh, but she really was doing groundbreaking breaking work at the time and she is actually the reason that we now use the words poltergeist and doppelganger Um, she was multilingual and she studied writings from all over the world and translated them um, was looking for instances of storytelling about paranormal experiences and things from all over the globe and she brought uh, uh, words with her into her writings and kind of acclimated them into the English language. So the German words poltergeist and doppelganger were uh, words she used in her writing. And that became kind of commonly known through that. I actually learned while um, writing for this poltergeist as a German word means like knocking spirit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So spirit that lets you know they're there by knocking around. Very interesting. I'd never knew that. Uh, And of course, as I mentioned at the top of this episode, she is the investigator credited with the first official paranormal investigation. So she wrote about this experience in her 1859 book, Ghosts and Family Legends. And uh, at the time that she was living in Edinburgh, she met with this lawyer who had a, a house that he was trying to rent and he hadn't been able to keep a tenant in there. And supposedly everybody was experiencing hauntings of sorts in this mm-hmm. house. So Catherine is immediately interested. She's, and I, I think this might be kind of a, a gal after your own heart, Penny, because while she was definitely a spiritualist and she believed, she she wanted to believe, you know, yeah. but she was really wanting to see a ghost she wanted to experience something to make her believe that she yeah she's like give me the facts give me the facts give um, me those ghost facts <laughs> so uh in 1854 in february she gathered a group of six people that had varying interests in this field and uh included two other women in this which was again very exciting um women and supporting one, women Excellent. women supporting love women it. we love bringing, to see it bringing them into the room uh and one of the people included in this group was also the lawyer that uh, owned the property okay. so and then one of the women that she brought with her was a clairvoyant so she brings 
this is where I think her, her research brain works very well. She brought them to the home under kind of the guise that she was wanting to buy this house. And she was like, well, come like hang out with me in this house and see like, do you like it? What are the vibes? Are we feeling good? (laughs) Um, Didn't tell them anything about the background that it had been supposedly haunted. And then this, I don't, I don't fully know what, what that is happening here. (laughs) um, Basically they, they said that the clairvoyant could only be clairvoyant when she was hypnotized Um, so she like brings her little clairvoyant friend she's like hey we're gonna hypnotize you and like ask you if the that we should buy the house like if you can catch a vibe (laughs) on (laughs) on what's happening here uh so they like go to this back parlor area they set up a bunch of candles they like chill it's more or less like they're setting up a seance almost but anyway that's beside the point they get her under hypnosis because also i guess one of the people in this group is like a a mesmerist or a doctor of some sort and then she's in her trance and they were like hey should we buy this house and she's like no (laughs) don't do it don't do it uh the vibes are off the the vibes vibes are are off uh and she said that she was getting energy that there were two ghosts on the property of two people who were murdered Mm. in the house um and they sit with her for a while in this trance they're asking her questions um and the only experience that everybody agreed that they like had (laughs) together collectively (laughs) was that they heard a sound that sounded like two iron like pipes banging together um a few times and that they could they couldn't explain what that was but it's also an old house right so they were kind of like i don't know so they sit for several hours they're bored nothing's really happening and they decide they're going to snuff out all the candles and sit for a while just like in darkness around midnight and just let anything that might come through come through and then they're gonna be done with it um and at this point the clairvoyant has had a long day she's been in a trance for a while (laughs) she's she's talked to some murdered people she's really going through it um so she like was in the other kind of room now laying down having a little little lighty down taking a little sleep and they catherine and her pals like snuff out the candles they're hanging and the clairvoyant like sits up like bolts upright and she's pointing and she's like there 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 and they're like what because <laughs> there's no light <laughs> um so i guess she told Catherine to come over and hold her hand and like i her thought was that she could like transfer her clairvoyancy like kind of bring Catherine into her trance um so they held hold hands And her and Catherine both witness these waves of white light radiating from the floor that are kind of like pulsing like Mm. a, um, and Catherine being the scientific minded lady she is, is like, I don't know if I'm really seeing this or if this is like something you're suggesting that I'm seeing. So she asks the clairvoyant, Hey, can you squeeze my hand every time you see like the wave, um, wave <laughs> what would you call that uh, like, crest 
Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a good word. And so they do that, and the clairvoyant is squeezing her hand at exactly the times that she's seeing the waves come up. Um, so that in her mind was like that's proof, but she also like states she's like at the time i didn't think like hey maybe we should bring these other people over here and have (laughs) them hold her hand or something and see if they can see it um but she also Catherine also sees this bright white light materialize in front of her in kind of a diamond shape that she describes it and she didn't tell anybody else that she was seeing it at the moment Because she was like, I don't want to influence anybody. I don't want anyone to like be like, yeah, I see it too. So after they all leave the house, they kind of are doing an evidence review. And the lawyer who owns the house is like, hey, just a quick question, guys. Um, Did anybody else see that like bright white spark of light that looked like an oxyhydrogen light? (laughs) (laughs) And Catherine was kind of like, whoa, because that was perfectly describing the light she had seen so she accounts all this whether or not that was an actual paranormal experience we of course wouldn't we'll never know but it is the first time that someone tries to apply kind of scientific methods Mm -hmm. to this and really like goes in a space with the formulaic like we're going to try to catch proof of ghosts today um and then documents it and writes about it so that was a, a very important entry, and a lot of people like call her the the mother of the paranormal, which is very cool. Mm, that is a cool name. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I had a cool name like that. I we can we can make that happen. All right. <laughs> drop drop your cool penny nickname. Yeah, leave the, your suggestions. The... <laughs> um. So while she made these like massive contributions to the paranormal research community. Her work is spoken about very, very little today. Mm. And boy, howdy, there sure is a reason for that. And it is because of a so-called scandal that arose in 1854. Mm. I love a scandal. You know, you would think. Uh (laughs) You're not going to love this one. Because I was like, I was angry for her reading this. So in 1854... Catherine is found one morning wandering the streets of Edinburgh, stark naked and like babbling, like just kind of not with it. Yeah. And do you, do you recall a little famous gentleman by the name of Charles Dickens that we spoke about <laughs> earlier? I do. Um, so Charles and Catherine at this point have a professional relationship. He has published several pieces of her work for her. Um, As we read previously, he has reviewed and spoken very highly of her, very publicly. Well, Charles Dickens sits down and decides he's a gossipy little bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And so he begins to write letters to people and kind of spread this rumor about Catherine. And he writes to a reverend named James White. Um, This is his quote from this letter. Mrs. Crow has gone stark mad and stark naked on the spirit wrapping imposition. She was found t'other day in the street clothed only in her chastity. Okay, Perez Hilton. (laughs) Literally. Literally. He's tabloiding everywhere. 
Two days later, he writes another letter because he can't keep his lips sealed to a friend. And in this letter, he says, <laughs> this is my favorite because in this this instance, it's very clear that this person doesn't know of Catherine Crow mm-hmm. and he's just being gossipy. He says, <laughs> there is a certain Mrs. Crow, usually resident in Edinburgh. <laughs> She was a medium and an ass, and I don't know what else. The other day, she was discovered walking down her own street in Edinburgh, not only stark mad, but stark naked, too. He was really happy with that turn of phrase. He came up with that, and he was like, I am a genius. (laughs) Chuck was just like, sending this to all of my group texts. I am so witty. He's texting his friends like, did you see my tweet? (laughs) You see my tweet? I, did you see? Did you see that stark mad and stark naked thing? I thought that was that was pretty great. And here's why isn't this viral yet? Well, and here's the upsetting thing: it was um, publications go mad with this phrase and ask no questions and are just posting it. Ever not posting? That's not what it's called in 1854. <laughs> um, but basically, the story ends up in the press about a month later, and no surprise at all. The first time it shows up, it's in a publication called The Zoist, which is run by none other than one of Dickens' old buddy, old pals, Dr. John Elliotson. Mm-hmm. And in this article, they claim that she was then put in a madhouse after this episode. So lots of publications pick up this story. They're just spewing the same words they've read they've done no fact checking whatsoever and then a friend of Catherine's, when she sees this she's an activist her name's sophia de morgan she writes a letter to dr elliotson um to kind of set the record straight and she writes a letter to the editor saying hey Catherine had a fever attack that caused her to go into like a delusional state but she was very quickly like treated they gave her medicine Mm -hmm. it went away she's fine um unfortunately and this is sophia also saying this she's like Mm -hmm. unfortunately her friends thought she was gonzo permanently and they had already sent her upstate to the mental asylum before we knew what was going on guys which also like get better friends Catherine. right like that's no that's not a good friend (laughs) no I, i can't imagine like People like you and I, <laughs> in this time period, the oh way I would be getting sent to Hanswell every, like, f- fourth day. Right. This is like, goodbye. They're like, she's stark raving. She's stark, stark mad. Raving. Stark naked. Send her away. Um, but she does get sent to this Hanwell mental asylum. Uh, that is true. Her friends put her on a train up there, said, go get help. And she gets the asylum. And the doctors... Are like this woman has an infection and they give her medicine and two days later they release her because they're like she is not a candidate for to be like a, a an inmate here she is fine um, well, that that's a twist so yeah, that, yeah. There, there's <laughs> one one spot of sunlight here that the doctors were twist. actually like oh i think she's fine right well and that's the doctor that treated her was like the top um mental health expert in england at the time and he's like she's fine um and he even wrote like 
in a series where everybody's writing letters to each other to clear up these rumors. He even comes into play and confirms like, hey, she was in this like weird fever state. And by the time she actually got to us, the delusions had passed. Like we got her some meds. We sent her home. And the admissions list from the Hanwell Institution at that time proved that she was never even like admitted as a Mm -hmm. patient into the asylum at all. She was there, but she never was admitted. So it's all rude and lies. But unfortunately, by this point, the rumor mill has already done its job. And there's this now rumor that is persisting that Catherine had gone crazy and believed that spirits had turned her invisible. And that's why she was wandering the streets naked. So... Uh, even though Catherine goes home two days later and returns to living a completely normal life, she never has another episode like this. She's in good health for many more years. She writes a lot more stuff. Even as I mentioned, um, the Ghosts and Family Legends book in 1959 that records her paranormal investigation was written five years after this incident. Mm-hmm. Um, her reputation, unfortunately, at this point is completely tarnished and nobody is like paying attention to her anymore um which is probably why we've never heard about this investigation so it's really depressing (laughs) because uh of the cruel and sensitive remarks of two stinky men uh this woman's career is demolished overnight so why did they do that what a great question was it just (laughs) gossip or did they have something to gain from it well I think that they were doing it on very much on purpose. Um, it is important to note at this point that Dr. Elliotson, who was the first person to publish it in the press, um, was a prominent mesmerist at the time. And so he's like a, a, a hypnotist, but mm-hmm. like it was pre-hypnotism. It's a little less refined. It was kind yeah. of a, a controversial <laughs> um, practice. But the mesmerism movement was really big and he and his colleagues were very directly threatened by the up and coming spiritualist movement. And even though Catherine in her like big book had talked really highly about mesmerism and like its place in her research, um, the Zoist was a mesmerist publication and they were kind of, doing their best to smear the reputation of spiritualists and like paint them as people that got driven mad by their obsession with spirits. Mm-hmm. So what do you think when the leading author in the spiritualist movement pops up naked in the streets of Scotland? <laughs> uh, of course they're going to latch onto that and try to uh, diminish her, her claims and her yeah. research. Uh, I also personally, I didn't see a lot about this in my research, but I wonder if Dickens had something to do with it just like on a jealousy level, because even though he published three of her pieces himself and was like a supporter, he also like was prominent for writing ghost stories. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if he didn't like not want to see her succeed yeah um as like even though she was coming at it from a non-fiction standpoint like maybe that was threatening to his work in some way or i don't know but or just more... just a messy messy bitch right <laughs> right Charles um, dickens noted messy, messy bitch noted messy bitch um 
And honestly, just the more I read about things like this, the more I, I it just, you know, I, I mean, I know we all know this, but I, I understand more and more why there are fewer women in yeah. fields like this, because I think it's so easy for people to discount women's experiences mm-hmm. and say that we're crazy or hyper emotional or that we don't know what we're talking about. And people tend to believe men because they're quote more logical <laughs> yeah yeah you never you never give the benefit of the doubt to, to women a right exactly so um it's it's really disheartening but it is i'm very glad that her work was published when it was before all this happened because you can't take that away she still has a lot of really incredible work out there. Um, you can find most of her work online through like Project Gutenberg and stuff. You can get it for free and read it. I would really recommend that we do that because I think it's very cool. Um, she was a huge groundbreaking entity in the paranormal space for for women and for all people. She did a, a ton of um, data collection and things that just nobody else had done and I think uh, it's really important for us to honor the work that she did in this field, especially if this is something that is a, a field of interest to you. I know we have a lot of female friends that are in the paranormal space, um, and I'm assuming most of them probably do know about Catherine, but uh, I wanted to take a moment and highlight her during this month of women's history. Uh, I also actually, so originally when I planned this episode, I was going to talk about multiple women Mm -hmm. and then i started typing about her and i was like oh there's a (laughs) lot too much (laughs) well because the very first thing i found was that review of dickens talking about her work and i was like oh that's cool that charles dickens thought she was great and then like an hour later (sighs) i found the controversy i was like wait wait wait." and there's like a whole journal piece written about charles dickens like his place in like discrediting so many women and that apparently he had to have like he tried to have his wife committed as like insane and couldn't and so then they're like is he on like a revenge bender (laughs) i don't know there's a lot going on there i'd like to formally apologize to my best friend who's listening to this and is a huge charles dickens fan um (laughs) I'm so sorry. He's a misogynist. Uh, <laughs> he's extremely problematic. He's, so. he's, he's the worst. Um, but anyway, uh, that's Catherine Crow. And I again, thank you to Amanda at Spook Eats for bringing my attention to her story. If, uh, if you're not already following her, check her out on Instagram and check out her, her work. She has a lot of cool um, like blogs and things about travel and food and spooky stuff and she made books which is crazy people write books they sure do (laughs) it's wild it's wild Uh, that is all i've got for you so thank you all so much for listening today uh happy women's history month to everyone who identifies as such Uh, we we love you women you're you're great Uh, if you would like to check out more from our podcast, you can find us over on Instagram at Ghouls Night in Pond. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we would so appreciate it if you would leave us a rating or a review wherever you listen to us. Uh, we do like to share those here on the pod, and I believe we have one to read today. We sure do. Um, today's five-star review comes from Bagel Road. Mm. Excellent. 
um, and is titled A Lovely Spooky Time. <laughs> this podcast is such a delight, and these two amazing ghouls create that cozy and spooky environment that we found sharing ghost stories under a blanket fort. Aww. Thank you for bringing this to us. You give us spooky season all year round. Thanks, guys. That's yeah. so nice. We love spooky season all year, every day. Every season is spooky season. Sometimes, well, and I mean, this is no surprise to you because this is something that you love and hate about me simultaneously. <laughs> Sometimes we read these reviews and I'm like, it's <laughs> so nice. <laughs> they that's are ex- very nice. That's exactly what we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> And if you would uh, like more sappy crap from me, you can, <laughs> you can find me across all platforms at Midge Munster. And if you would like to find me being stoic and unemotional, <laughs> you can find me at Penny Snark. And until next time, good goodbye. Bye.